Welcome to the Inner Circle Podcast Network presentation of The Slimmer Circle. I'm your host, Jason Almy. I am joined by my wife, Christina, who is a registered dietitian nutritionist. She's board certified and licensed to practice medical nutrition therapy. I am a certified strength and conditioning specialist and a master's student in nutrition science at the University of New Hampshire. So we are both experts in the field of nutrition and exercise. Honey, you went to JMU, right? Correct. James Madison University? Awesome. And you... um. There, When you were there, you have a master's degree. You studied nutrition and exercise. Correct. Yes, I have a combined master's of nutrition and physical activity. So you would you would say that you are an expert in both nutrition and exercise based on your studies? Yes, I would say so. Fantastic. That is why we are the ones hosting this show and you are the ones listening, y'all. I also want to mention that this show is brought to you by Almy Be Well, a private nutrition and dietetics practice with several specialties, including things like weight loss, diabetes management, pre- and post-op bariatric surgery. The internet has a lot of nutrition information. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of so-called experts out there, uh, these HuffPo experts, these California nutritionists, and that's fine. Look, that's fine. Uh, but if you have a legitimate medical condition like Crohn's or diabetes uh, if you have heart disease, if you use prescription medications, uh, then the wrong advice is not just a waste of your time. It could actually put you at risk. Consulting a licensed professional is the best way to make sure that you are receiving health advice and nutrition education that is evidence-based. Go to almybewell.com or email Christina at almybewell.com. That's Christina with a C-H at almybewell.com to learn more about what type of services Almybewell offers. Honey, I know you know a little bit about this, but maybe I will give you the info and that will help frame the purpose of this podcast for our listeners. We recently began a weight loss challenge, and by we, I mean the other hosts of the Inner Circle podcasts. That is our dear friends, uh, The Plunge podcast, Hood Diner podcast, Simmons and More podcast, ah, ah, ah as well as hashtag no offense show. Uh, all of our all of our homeboys, uh, we all got together and we decided, hey, let's let's summer's around the corner. You know, let's do something. Let's let's try to get ourselves motivated uh, to get a little fitter and maybe look a little bit better in a bikini this summer. And we've actually opened it up to several of our other podcasts that we're we're fans of and that we're fond of. So other folks have joined us. And I think we're going to hear from some of these folks as we do this podcast over the next several weeks. But the the whole purpose of this podcast is to help to dispense some needed nutritional information. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, after this week, this is the first week, so we don't have any weight progress. But after this week, we'll give the leaderboard for percent weight loss, like the top five um, and how much percent weight they've lost. I'm not going to air out anybody's actual body weight, but I, but we can say how much percent that they've reduced. So that should help motivate the listeners as well. And there's money on the line too. I don't know if I mentioned that. The purpose of this podcast is to utilize our collective um, expertise. Because we host a comedy podcast, we don't always get to utilize our actual like professional expertise. We're We're both pretty well-educated, I think, and we've got a lot of experience in the field now, 
And uh, that doesn't always shine through on a comedy podcast. So I did want to jump at the opportunity to provide this podcast as a supplement to the the weight loss challenge and give everybody opportunity to kind of pick our brains a little bit. So uh, Riles Trudy from The Plunger Rooney has submitted a question for us to talk about this week for our topic. Whether or not breakfast is a good thing. Is breakfast good for you? Is breakfast bad for you? Does breakfast make you live longer? Does breakfast make you die sooner? Does breakfast make you skinny? Does breakfast make you fat? These are all of the questions that concern breakfast that are out there in the world. If you were to go Google, as I'm sure you know, there's just tons of information about breakfast. What do you think off the top of your head? What's your gut tell you about breakfast? Do you eat breakfast every day? I do every day. You eat breakfast every day. I know that. That was a rhetorical question. I was asking that for the listeners to hear that you eat breakfast. Because they don't know that you eat breakfast. I obviously do. So you're the dietitian. You eat breakfast every day. That kind of says where you land on on the breakfast debate that Riles Trudy from the Plunger Rooney brought up. I'm going to try not to repeat that too many times. Earlier when we were talking, you said you were saying something about the weight registry. This is a registry of individuals who have lost a certain amount of weight and managed to keep it up. Mm-hmm. And they um, they kind of interview these people to figure out maybe what tactics were were effective in their weight loss. Yeah. And they've lost a significant amount of weight. So it's not just like one or two pounds. It's escaping me as to what the percentage of weight loss is, but it's a significant amount. And they have kept it off for a significant amount of time. And yeah, they've observed these patients or these people to understand what their trends are and what's similar amongst these people and how they were, you know, how they successfully lost and maintained. And consuming breakfast was a, was um, very common. Just to add to that, you um, you mentioned that they had to lose a certain amount of weight to be added to the registry. It's it's called the National Weight Control Registry, mm-hmm. and they must have lost at least thirty pounds. Wow! So it's a pretty significant amount yeah, of weight that they must have lost to Impressive. be added to this registry. Yeah, it's not a simple five pound. You can dehydrate five pounds off. So how about the length of time they've had to keep it off? I think it's like five five years or something. I don't um, remember. According to this, it says they must have kept it off for at least one year. Okay. So not as long. But yeah. even still, if you keep the weight off for a year, you've been pretty successful. You haven't mm-hmm. rebounded back to old habits mm-hmm. if you've kept that weight off. That's the hardest part of weight. And weight what's reduction. cool about this is it's available. Like anybody can go check it out. You don't need a you don't need to have some type of um login or anything. People can actually go and check it out and they have success stories or they just have a lot of information. So, yeah. Mm, that sounds like the type of thing that I should link in our show notes for this episode. You should. Give people a link so they go check that out. It's because, again, as I mentioned in our, in our um, intro, it's very important that whatever nutritional advice you are uh, deciding to follow, it's important that you... Um, that you have kind of a, take a critical eye. I mean, don't just listen to whatever anybody on the internet tells you because the internet can be full of advice, some of it good, some of it bad. So I think a big thing, not just about breakfast, but about any nutritional topic is to try to evaluate the source of the information and try to make a decision about who's telling you this and why they're telling you that. And a, a resource like the Weight Control Registry can be good because you're hearing it straight from people who've been successful. Mm-hmm. So with that said, 
I was thinking about uh, Riley's question regarding yeah. breakfast. And so I was thinking about what are the sources of information? Because when I was researching this, I found there were folks out there writing articles telling you that breakfast was either somewhere between unnecessary or horrible for you. And then there were other people saying that breakfast is very important. It's indispensable. So who tells you that breakfast is good? Tony the Tiger, Nabisco, McDonald's, uh, a licensed nutritional professional in this case. I'm pointing at you for our listeners. Who's telling you that that breakfast is bad? I, I saw authors of books that mm. were negative, anti-breakfast, that were writing articles about why breakfast is a dangerous, it was even called, and I'm quoting this guy, I don't remember his name, but he called nutrition a dangerous meal. Really? Yes, because nutrition, or excuse me, because breakfast contains calories and calories make you fat. Therefore, ergo, transitively, breakfast equals fat, right? Mm. Or wrong. I mean, you're a pretty healthy weight and you eat breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I what I what I'm curious about is, I want to find non-biased sources to to try to tell me what the impact of eating breakfast is on people. Mm-hmm. And most of the scientific literature out there does indicate that eating breakfast correlates to good positive it health does. outcomes. It does. And this is why I think consulting with a dietitian is good because their job is to be familiar with what the current research says and then they mm-hmm. um, translate that into communication or messages to you know the mass. Yeah. And so because where you'll get the most legitimate information is from research. So what does the research say? What does the evidence say? It's not from, you know, some Huffington Post article or time even. It depends on where they're getting their information. If they're getting it from non-biased research and they're Mm -hmm. looking at the, you know, are there studies out there that show breakfast is helpful? Are there studies out there showing that it's not? And reporting on both. When you have something that's only reporting a very strong opinion one way or the other, you got to question that. I would agree. It's called BS. I would agree. I tend to approach it very, I would warn people, listeners, be skeptical if someone tells you that breakfast is the gonna worst thing. Yeah. And be very skeptical if someone tells you that if you don't eat breakfast, you're going to die, okay? Yeah. Because um, one thing that I will mention, as I was doing my research on this topic yesterday, I did read some criticism of some of the scientific research. The problem of, of scientific research is that when you have a multitude of studies, particularly if they don't prove what you like, you're an author and you're anti-breakfast, and you see a study that says breakfast is good, you think, how can I how can I shoot this full of holes? Oh, guess what? Kellogg's was one of the funders of this study. Mm-hmm. So some of the some of the criticism that I read regarding some of the science that's out there that indicates that breakfast would be a good thing for you. One of the major criticisms I read was that much of that science was funded by companies like Kellogg's, like Quaker, who produce oatmeal. Um, Basically, they were funded by companies that had a vested interest in you thinking that breakfast is good because likelihood is you're going to go buy these breakfast food items. Mm. And I'm from, I mean, I'm not familiar with a lot of studies that were funded by breakfast giants. I've seen studies that are just completed by researchers looking, especially looking at weight loss and maybe some other comorbid conditions. But um, again, I think that's always something questionable 
Um, but a lot of times in those studies, if you actually got your hands on the original research report, um, they have to state mm-hmm. why, but you know, but then read through the research. It still has to go through peer review, yeah, and it has to go through a very yeah. stringent so review say, process. People say something like, "Oh, uh, Quaker Oats paid for this study," as if so that means everything was just simply falsified. But the the problem with that is that uh, there's plenty of research out there that wasn't funded by by Quaker and. Um, Again, the the research really it wouldn't happen if it wasn't funded by someone, exactly. right? I mean, so the money to to perform research mm-hmm. has to come from, from somewhere, somewhere, and typically it does tend to come from parties that are that have a vested interest in that particular that particular study data, mm-hmm. what that that might prove or conclude. So it's not surprising that Kellogg or Quaker might want to fund studies that research breakfast because it impacts their business, and the business happens to be quite big. Right. Um, I don't think that the the funding source for research automatically proves I bias. Agree. So that's another thing that you got to take with a grain of salt when someone says, oh, Kellogg's sponsored that study, that doesn't mean you just throw it out. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's another thing to be kind of skeptical of maybe or, or think critically about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the research is bad. And the whole purpose of scientific research is that it should be, good scientific research should be um, repeatable. You should right. be able to repeat a study and get the same data. If I repeat a study and I get vastly different data, well, maybe then it is falsified. I don't even know if I would say falsified. There might be something inherent to the study that yeah. is resulting in you might have a different population. You might have different controls. You might just the situation. I mean, it it, it causes a question. Like maybe mm-hmm. that first study then was, um, it, it was a random result. And so yeah. I think repeating... The research and I, and that's when I always like when a study comes out and it's like a new study, you, you know, don't take that to the bank. It still needs to be repeated and repeated mm-hmm. and repeated, repeated in different populations. Tweak this, tweak that, to understand if this is a consistent finding or yeah. was it just a one-time thing? You know, can we generalize this to a larger population or can we not? It was just in one study. Was that yeah. one study like ten people? Sample size and duration is key. You mentioned a 10-person sample size. You may not be able to draw some really great conclusions from that. At least not generalize. You can't generalize It's tougher to generalize, yeah. Yeah. Which, like, so if we go back to the breakfast topic, so I know intermittent fasting skips breakfast. Typically, yes. So whenever there's this, like, new fad or new thing or new diet or new craze, there's often not adequate research to back it up. Mm -hmm. How will you react to it? Will you have good outcomes? Nobody knows because the research's not done yet. You mentioned something important. The strength of the breakfast research is pretty good because um, breakfast is a fairly easy thing to research. And some of the really big ongoing studies like the Framingham study and Haynes um, is another really big study that's been ongoing for a long, long duration, covering many thousands of individuals as a sample size, um, has produced some pretty good data. A lot of the data that I've seen, and we're going to save intermittent fasting for a future show. I'd actually like to speak to some people who have done 
actually done intermittent fasting on that on that episode. So we don't I, I don't plan to get into intermittent fasting too much either. It'll 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 blow this episode out in terms of length. But um, usually the opposite of breakfast is not eating breakfast is fasting until at least lunchtime. And the studies that have been performed on that have been relatively short in duration. Mm-hmm. Even the ones that showed good results of skipping breakfast last six weeks. In fact, the mm-hmm. one I was looking at yesterday was a six-week study performed on a relatively smart. small sample size. So it's hard to say, would that benefit, if we saw a benefit of, at six weeks, would that benefit persist to six months or a year or 10 years? Right. I mean, until we've studied it for a long period of time, exactly. it's hard to say whether or not this eating pattern is, yeah. is really a very good one. Although I'm not here to poke holes in intermittent fasting tonight or offend any right. inter- intermittent fasting folks tonight. We might get into that in a future yeah. episode though. Which I don't think we've really answered, do we think breakfast? Yeah, no, but I we're circling we back to that. We, we are <laughs> circling back to that. We're staying on the breakfast topic. So we can we can definitively say that there is some good research out there indicating that breakfast is a good thing to eat. But whether or not you accept that breakfast is a good thing to eat, I think you have to admit that the context of breakfast is key. So for someone who eats a sugary cereal, or if you go to McDonald's for a sausage uh, cheese biscuit every morning, and then you stop eating breakfast, you might lose weight. Your health might improve. Your blood pressure might improve. Your your lipids might improve because you were choosing very poor breakfast foods. However, if you eat a healthy breakfast, if you eat yogurt with fruit, if you eat a hard-boiled egg or a scrambled egg or something like that, and you're eating these good whole food breakfasts, you might actually be worse off by skipping breakfast. So what do you feel about like the context of of what type of foods you're choosing for breakfast, making breakfast good or bad? I mean, I think that's a good point. I think with each meal, which I don't think we always look at it, is it's an opportunity to get in the nutrition. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons a lot of dietitians are advocates for the breakfast is you need multiple feeding sessions to actually get all the nutrition in. Yes. And a lot of people in general don't consume nutritionally adequate intake. So skipping a meal is likely increasing your um, risk of not getting enough nutrition. Yeah. So So I should mention that a big, big goal of medical nutrition therapy is the same as with um, medicine, standard medicine, that your doctor, the the big thing is do no harm. We we have to ensure that any advice that we're providing as, as professionals in a nutrition setting is that we're not going to give advice that's going to hurt somebody. So telling a patient to stop eating breakfast, like Christina said, could very easily result in inadequate intake of key nutrients that that people need to be healthy. I immediately thought of fiber, potassium, calcium. These are food, these are nutrients that are contained in a healthy breakfast. Mm-hmm. And by mm-hmm. skipping breakfast, you might not get enough yeah. fiber or calcium or potassium or protein for the day. Yeah. Uh, choosing a healthy breakfast will help you to meet your required intakes mm-hmm. or recommended intakes. It'll increase for those. the likelihood that you will. Exactly. Because yeah. those are nutri- nutrients that people are often low in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And the other thing that came up for me or comes up for me with breakfast is, especially in the light or in lieu of the weight loss challenge mm-hmm. is... Um, like the impact on your metabolism. And this is what some research supports is that, so you go to bed or or your last meal might be like seven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then if you go all the way until like 11 o'clock the next day, that's what, 15, yeah, 16 hours? Yeah, that's about 15, hours. 16 hour fast. So that's a long fast. Yeah. 
and the counter-regulatory like mechanisms in our body could respond by reducing your, or, or, or it doesn't, it's not that it could overnight, your metabolism slows down. Mm. So, because you're not feeding it and um, everything kind of slows down when you're sleeping. And so when you get up, if you continue and persist to not feed your body, you're, um, and I would say it's a more of, a, it's like a hypothesis. I'd yeah. say there's some research supporting it. It's still, I, it might be still a um, newer hypothesis, but that you're maintaining that slower metabolism. And so when you get up, hence break, you know, break the fast, yeah. you break the fast and have a, even a small item can help get your metabolism going. Some of the research that I was reading yesterday, of course, um, it's hard to talk about whether or not you should eat breakfast without discussing intermittent fasting. Again, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around the intermittent fasting thing because I don't really want to make this thing two hours by getting into it. Well, it's not, a, it's not like we're getting into it. It's just more fasting. It's the opposite of eating breakfast. Yeah, it's, so, it's sort of like your other option is to continue to fast. Yeah, we're not getting to the but theory behind. What I, what I had read was that in, in people, who, people who skipped breakfast, they found that, um, that maybe if you were going to skip a meal because you wanted to shorten the duration of your feeding window during the day, that actually skipping dinner was a better one to skip because like you said, the the early morning, the the um the cycle of of daily hormones, the um adrenal hormones that that help get you up in the morning, that increase blood pressure, uh, they actually improve metabolism that that the breakfast was actually not as good a meal to skip in some of the research, as dinner. So if you're an intermittent faster, you might consider moving your window to um, earlier in the day versus eating dinner. Maybe just cut yourself off sooner and you can still follow intermittent fasting and eat a breakfast. These two things can live together, uh, I promise. Um, I do want to reveal our biases here. You have already said that you eat breakfast. I am pro-breakfast as well. Anytime I am working with someone in the context of personal training and exercise, um, I consider breakfast to be absolutely mandatory if you're going to be training in the morning. I, I do not like training on an empty stomach, especially with load-bearing exercises or athletic training exercises. I do believe that you need to have that food in you. Although I will say that I do love fasted cardio. That's kind of my one exception. Otherwise, I do I do also support, it's my professional opinion, that that breakfast is a good meal to eat, particularly if you're going to be physically active afterward. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other thoughts on eating breakfast before we give people a tip of the day? Yeah, I think the other thing is, again, with weight loss is if you go a long period of time without eating, um, and some people will say they're not hungry in the morning mm-hmm. or whatever is going on in your morning, um, and you wait, what what I often hear and see, and it's not surprising, is that people will be starving at their first opportunity to eat. Mm-hmm. And so this can um, result in over-consuming yeah. and just eating too much. It lowers your inhibition. You're likely going to choose less healthily. Mm-hmm. Um, so a good goal is to you know eat small amounts throughout the day so that you never get to that point of yeah. being so hungry. Yeah. 
Um, and then also some people find if they're if they undercut and don't eat a lot during the day, they'll just be incredibly munchy at the end of the night. Again, resulting in you tend to result in um, a surplus of calories at the end of the night, which can cause weight gain. Yeah, for sure. I, I I think the research that I was just mentioning that that said that maybe breakfast is a better meal to have and dinner is a better meal to skip if you're into that sort of thing. I actually tend to. I, I mean, I feel like it's a compelling argument that. Um, this nighttime, the kind of mindless nighttime snacking that people do, the, the crud people eat at night frequently. I mean, if, if that's the behavior type, that's a great behavior to try to curb. Whereas, um, you know, if you do eat breakfast, chances are pretty good that you're going to have an opportunity throughout the day to be active and maybe utilize some of those calories. Whereas any food that you eat at night and any resultant increase in glucose and insulin circulating, you're not going to be able to put that to use because you're not going to go for a jog at 11 p.m. You're probably going to lay down and go to bed. Is that kind of what you were thinking? I, for one, am not an advocate for skipping dinner either. Yeah. But I, I think I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm saying if you're into that kind of thing, for anybody listening who is yeah. into intermittent fasting... It's food for thought is is kind yeah. of my purpose of saying all that. Yeah. So I'm just saying I'm not, I, I'm just not supportive of people skipping meals in general. I was more saying that if you're under consuming throughout the day and then you eat a lot of your meals at night, mm-hmm. then often you're overeating because now you're in such a state of deficit. Yeah. Your body is just it's sort of a rebound. very hungry. So you eat yeah. too much. I so do agree like that. Yo-yo. Yeah. If you eat heavy at night, you're not going to be burning it off, but there is research that supports that at the end of the day, the big thing is how do your calories stack up? Are of you course. over or under? Of and course. then there's some research that supports, um, you know, eating maybe a little less carbs might be a little bit better at night, yada, yeah. yada. So. Well, that's, that's another big thing about the, the whole breakfast debate, eat breakfast or don't eat breakfast, just because uh, people feel so passionately about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be something that's right for you. And, and like you said, Christina, the big thing about overall nutrition is not focusing just on breakfast, but it's about what do you eat throughout a 24-hour period? How is your intake most days? And whether you have breakfast or whether you not, whether you don't have breakfast, uh, I think people want something that's easy. People want, what's the easy tip? What's just one thing that I can take? What's one thing that I can do that'll work? And telling someone, oh, skip breakfast, that doesn't guarantee that it's going to work. Because just like you said, it's easy to overeat at lunch. It's easy to snack throughout the workday. It's easy to eat um, a big bowl of ice cream before bed. So whether you eat breakfast or whether you don't eat breakfast, it's not a magic bullet. And what's really key is your overall nutrition mm-hmm. over long periods of time because you don't gain 50 pounds by eating one breakfast. Mm-hmm. You're not going to lose 50 pounds by skipping one breakfast. The most important thing is your your aggregate habits over periods of time that are long enough for you to change your health for the benefit. Mm-hmm. So let's end the whole thing by giving people some breakfast-related tips. I think we've both revealed that we come down in favor of breakfast. We're both kind of on the side of eating breakfast, but that comes with a caveat. I mentioned sugary cereals. I mentioned um, fast food breakfasts with sausage and biscuits and cheese and such. Um, What would be your recommendation as a dietetic professional? What's like an example of a good healthy breakfast that's moderately sized and, and contains some good nutrition? Um, I would say I always recommend going for something that has like two or three food groups. 
Okay. Uh, so rounded, balanced. Yep. Um, I mean, if... As all breakfasts should be. If you're someone who just isn't super hungry, even like a fruit or a granola bar or okay. something like that is fine. Just give yourself a little bit of nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having a whole grain with a fruit and a dairy or something like that. And also drink water in the morning. You're You're... Always dehydrated when you get up. Yep. Kidneys work overnight. Your kidneys uh, work third shift. And um, <laughs> that's why you have to pee in the morning and you got to replenish those fluids. First yeah. thing, drink a big glass of water right before your, your morning coffee if you do coffee. Um, I'll provide some tips as well. First things first, a lot of people drink coffee in the morning. Evaluate your cup of coffee this week, guys. If you're listening, take a look at what goes in that cup of coffee. Uh, make sure that you're not getting a bunch of added sugars here. This is a spot where a lot of folks, if they go get their coffee in the morning from a coffee place, Dunkin' or Starbucks or whatever, it's very easy. If you get the flavors or if you get the cream or whatever, it's very, very easy for this coffee drink to really swell out in terms of sugars. Be very, very careful with your your morning nutrition in terms of, of the added sugars and you'll thank yourself for it later. You don't need that blood sugar spike in the morning. And these processed sugars really are not going to do you any benefit. So um, I would encourage everybody, if you do eat a breakfast, try to eat something that's very minimally processed, whole foods, as Christina mentioned. Try to get a balance of a few things, include some dairy so that you can have some calcium or a dairy replacement like almond or soy milk. Make sure you're getting your calcium. A little fruit for potassium is great. Include some protein. Egg is considered the perfect protein still by the Dietetics Association. We still call it the perfect protein. Anything else that you'd like to add? I was going to say, and if you, you do, just try and eat something within two hours of waking is typically considered a, a good window. And that's all. Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, if you guys have any questions... Make sure you hit us up, Christina, that's C-H, Christina at Almy Be Well. Almy is spelled A-L-M-E. If you don't know how to spell Almy, I don't know how you found this podcast. I want to shout out to the Inner Circle Podcast Network that is uh, producing this wonderful content for you. That is uh, my man, Hood Diner. That's Kaz and DJ Sentry. Plunge Podcast, that's my boy, Riley Davis. Hunter, what's good? Uh, Simmons and Moore. That's Bobby. That's Adam Simmons and more. Yeah, what's good? Ah ah ah. Twenty seven rings. You know what it is. We got our uh, homeboys down in uh, Tampa, Florida too. Tampa two. We got the Duchess. We got Chris. What's good, Lunchbox? Go check out their podcasts if you want some fine, funny stuff to listen to on the Inner Circle Podcast Network. AlmyBeWell.com. AlmyBeWell is running a uh, special in conjunction with this weight loss effort. AlmyBeWell is offering six 20-minute calls, a meal plan, and uh, two reviews of your journals, your food journals, all for the mere price of $199. How much do the the 20-minute calls normally go for a la carte? It's normally 15 minutes for 20. 15 minutes for 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. So... Six calls at twenty bucks each is already hundred and twenty dollars. So that's actually a really good. That's actually a really good value. So six twenty-minute calls. You're going to get a meal plan. People love the meal plans because they're they're very very helpful. They can be really really helpful guidance, not just to to meet certain caloric uh, nutrition goals, but also to make sure that you're getting enough calcium, potassium, fiber, protein. Christina, that's Christina with a C-H, Christina at almybewell.com. Hit them up if you want to talk some nutrition with a qualified and licensed professional. 
Thank you guys for listening till next week. This has been the Slimmer Circle. Have a good night. Have a good night. How'd that sound? <laughs> You're smiling. Wow. I did it, guys. This, this was supposed to be a clean show. My wife dropped the first F-bomb. Nice work, Han. Nice work. It's okay. We can, we can bleep it. I'm the husband. I put my foot down. I said no. Slamming and jamming to the new swing sound. Yeah. Everybody, let's move. Vanilla is filled with a new jack. Who's gonna rock and roll the place with the power of the ninja turtle base?